He is risen. Three small words that brought the collective pace of humanity to an absolute standstill. He is risen. Three words that shattered prisons. Words that shook the earth's foundations. Words that transformed a sense of utter despair into cries of pure joy and ecstasy. Echoes of history's greatest triumph that still shape our reality. Even today, we're assaulted by constant distraction, countless sources waging war for our attention, yet three words pierce the noise. In our hunger for validation, our desperate pleas for love and attention, three words calm our anxieties. In a universe spinning at breakneck speed, its inhabitants locked in an existential crisis, three words proclaim the purpose of our existence. He is risen. Lay hold of this truth and embrace the peace within. Yesterday, fear reigned in our hearts. Yesterday, we sat in crippling darkness. Yesterday, we suffered abuse and all the accusations of a broken world. But today, our king, our healer, our defender is risen. And this reality doesn't merely accompany us on a meaningless journey. This changes everything. For you see, if he is risen, then all other pursuits become secondary. All of our failures become insignificant. All criticisms and condemnations become irrelevant. There is only His word, His mission, and His infinite, unconditional love for you. Because He is risen, we look to tomorrow. Tomorrow we will stop defining our worth through status and social media. Tomorrow we will together build an everlasting kingdom. Tomorrow and every day after, we will dance in the radiance of a redeeming savior who crushed death and set us free. There is nothing that Jesus cannot overcome. We know this because he lives. We know this because he is risen. Well, it is great to see everyone this morning, and I know we have several guests who are in the room today, so for those of you that are guests with us today, we, are, we really consider it a, a privilege to have you gather with us um, to celebrate the resurrection today. And so we would love to connect with you. Maybe some of you are looking for a church. Um, we want to just be able to connect with you and answer any questions that you might have about our church or um, point you in the right direction, let you know the things that we offer, ways to get connected and things like that. And so the easiest way to do that is to text the word welcome to 817-755-1668. You'll receive a uh, link back uh, to a digital connection card. Um, we're not going to do anything weird. You'll just get an email from me tomorrow and then maybe a text message later in the week. And if we can do anything for you, um, we want to be able to do that. We want to help you wherever you are uh, to take those next steps in the faith. And so we are glad that you are here this morning. But let me pray for us and we'll jump into the message. Heavenly Father, we are gathered here today because of what you've done for us. 
You loved us enough that you sent your one and only son, Jesus, who laid down his life for us willingly on the cross. And Father, as we are here and as we have sung and as we have listened even already this morning, I pray that you would help us to understand just how great your love is. I pray that you would be at work in our hearts, continuing to draw us close to you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You know, it seems really simple. Jesus came to transform lives, and so if we just follow him, then our lives will be different. We'll think differently. We'll see the world differently. We'll treat people differently. Our our marriages will be better. We'll have better behaved children. Everything would be different. But so often that's not the case. And when we're confronted with that reality in our lives, it's really easy to fall into the trap of just looking outward at other people. Why are they so selfish? Why is he angry all the time? Why is that person afraid? The reason I do that is because it's a whole lot easier to point out the problems that other people have rather than looking at my own. Over the last couple of years, several national surveys have been released that talk about how there is no distinguishable difference in the lifestyle and behaviors of those who claim to be followers of Jesus and those who don't. Now, there is a little bit of good news because there have also been some surveys that have come out that have uh, talked about the correlation between regular church attendance and emotional health. Just a little bit of a plug to kind of show up on a regular basis here. You know, as pastors, though, we gather together, we talk about these surveys, we talk about what we should take from them and what could be done. And it becomes clear to me that we are not doing something that we ought to be doing. But yet at the same time, in those circles, it seems like the answer is, we need to do a better job at pointing people to Jesus. And I agree with that. Yes, we should be pointing people to Jesus, but my thought is, like, are we already doing that? I mean, I don't know of a church anywhere who says, we're trying not to point people to Jesus. Like, this is what we do. But yet at the same time, here's what I find. That where Jesus came to turn the world upside down, we so desperately want to keep it right side up. So what are we missing? Why is it that so often we're afraid to let go and embrace the life that Jesus offers to us and the changes that Jesus desires to bring about in our lives? And this becomes an issue for those of us who claim to be followers of Jesus as well as those who aren't sure what to believe. Because for those of us who claim to be followers of Jesus, if we are afraid to embrace the life that Jesus offers to us, then there is no distinguishable difference in our lives. And then people who are wondering what to believe, they look at us and say, what good is Christianity if it doesn't make a difference anyway? So what are we doing wrong? I wonder, as we gather together on this Easter morning, to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, I wonder if part of what we're missing is a true belief in the reality that Jesus is alive. And then the significance of what that means to our faith. Because if Jesus is alive, then our faith should be alive too. 
I want to draw your attention for just a couple of minutes this morning to the end of Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 24. So for those of you that have a Bible with you, you can turn there, Luke 24. I'll read through um, from verses 36 through 50 here in just a second. If you don't have a Bible, uh, it'll be on the screen as I read it. Or uh, if you are a version Bible app user, if you've got that app on your phone, you can navigate your way to our live event and follow along there. So all the way down at the bottom, there's a button for more. And on the next screen, I think it's about uh, halfway down the screen, you'll see events and then you'll um, be able to find our event really easily. This section that we're looking at today is a resurrection appearance of Jesus. Let me read it. It's Luke 24, starting in verse 36. As they were saying these things, he himself stood in their midst. And he said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and terrified, thought they were seeing a ghost. Why are you troubled, he asked them, and why do doubts arise in your heart? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself, touch me and see, because a ghost doesn't have flesh and bones as you can see that I have. Having said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they were still amazed and in disbelief because of their joy, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. And he told them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about, about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He also said to them, this is what is, what is written. The Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgive, for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And look, I am sending you what my father promised. As for you, stay in the city until you are empowered from on high. This is not the first resurrection appearance of Jesus. The first resurrection appearance was to Mary. She, along with some of the other women, got up early in the morning to head to the tomb. They were going to finish preparing Jesus' body for burial. But at a distance, they realized that the stone that had once been placed in front of the tomb had been rolled away. They went and looked inside and realized that the body was not there. They wondered what happened. But it was there in the garden that Jesus appeared to Mary. And she came to realize that this was not the act of grave robbers, but that Jesus was alive. And then, just as Jesus had instructed her to do, she went back and told the other disciples about her experiences. Later, we read about another resurrection appearance of Jesus to a couple of disciples on the road to Emmaus. Emmaus was a village a few miles outside of the city of Jerusalem, and these disciples were walking and talking about all that they had seen and experienced over the last couple of days. And as they are walking and talking, Jesus walked up alongside of them and said, hey, what are you guys talking about? He said, what do you mean, what are we talking about? We're talking about all that we have seen. Jesus, we thought he was the Messiah, but he died, and then there was this report of, like, he resurrected, like, we're, so we're not sure what to think anymore. See, they, didn't, they were prevented from recognizing Jesus, so that they're talking back and forth to him. They didn't realize it was him. And as they continued to walk, Jesus explained to them from the Old Testament how everything happened was all a part of God's plan. Eventually, it became evening, and they were finished with their travels and ready to eat dinner. 
And as Jesus took the bread and he blessed it and broke it and he began to pass it to them, it was then that their eyes were opened and they realized that they had been with Jesus the entire time. And immediately, Jesus vanished right in front of their eyes. So they went back to Jerusalem as fast as they could to tell the rest of the disciples about their experience too. And that's what they're talking about. And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up again in the passage that we looked at this morning. And I want to talk about some of the details that we looked at, but what becomes clear in all of these resurrection appearances, it's true with this one as well, that all of these appearances point to the reality that Jesus was alive. What it says is they were talking that Jesus appeared in their midst and said, Peace be to you, which was a very common greeting, but then it said that they were afraid, thinking that they had seen a ghost. Now, I want to explain what I think is happening. That though these disciples had heard the report of Mary and also the report of these two disciples who were on the road to Emmaus, and I think they believed their report, but in their minds they thought, well, sure, Jesus is alive. He's kind of alive, sort of alive, but not really alive, because after all, how can someone who is really alive show up in two different places, miles apart, and then disappear and reappear whenever he wants to? And so Jesus, understanding what was taking place in their minds, he said, look, why are you guys afraid or or troubled? It's me. A ghost doesn't have flesh and bones like I do. I can't, I don't know exactly how the disciples had kind of put things together in their mind about what was taking place. I I don't know if they thought it was uh, maybe similar to like what we see in Star Wars when Obi-Wan Kenobi is killed by Darth Vader, but then he kind of shows up every once in a while to guide Luke in what they were doing. Maybe that's what the disciples thought. But Jesus says, hey, guys, don't be afraid. It's me. Look, I have flesh and bones. In fact, he says, touch my hands. Did you notice nobody took him up on that? I don't think I would have either. But notice, even then, it says, as he says, hey, I've got flesh and bones. A ghost doesn't have that. It says they were still unbelieving. And then Jesus does something to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that he's alive. He says, guys, I'm hungry. You got anything to eat? And see, the the point of all of this is to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus was alive. Not just kind of alive or sort of alive, but truly alive. And I think sometimes we miss the significance of that reality. We kind of get in our minds that sort of maybe the same thing that the disciples did. Like, yeah, Jesus came back to life, rose again from the dead, but he wasn't really alive. I mean, after all, how does someone who was really dead really become alive again? And, but Jesus did that. He, he became alive, not just came back from the dead, but was truly alive. And as we understand the significance of the truth of the resurrection, that Jesus was once dead but became alive, it has tremendous influence on our faith. If Jesus is alive, then our faith should be alive too. Ephesians 2.5 says that we were once dead in our sins, but because of Jesus, we are made alive. 
To be dead in our sin means that we're spiritually dead, lost and without hope, unable to have a relationship with God, left to try to figure out life on our own, which is always just a dead-end street. But because of Jesus and the work of Jesus on our behalf, we can be made alive. And, and so what this means is that something significant happens as God begins to do a work in our hearts. We aren't who we were. We were once dead, but we are made alive. And all of that can happen because of the work of Jesus through his death and resurrection. We were once dead, but we're made alive. As Jesus continues this discussion with his disciples, we see three things that are true about us as a result of the work of Jesus. He said in verse 46, this is what is written, that Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all nations. The idea there is to all people, all, all different types of people, all, all groups of people, all languages of people. It's everybody. But he says that repentance and forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed. The reason that our sins could be forgiven is because of what Jesus has done for us. So when we come to faith in Jesus, something happens. We get this new identity. No longer are we sinners, but we are forgiven. And I want you to know, it is not that we're kind of forgiven or sort of forgiven or partially forgiven, as long as we don't mess this thing up, but we are forgiven freely, fully, and forever. And so what that means is that all of our sins, past, present, and even future, will not keep us from having eternal life, spending eternity with God. And all of that is available because of the work of Jesus. Because of Jesus, we can be forgiven. And so we, because of the work of Jesus, we receive this new identity. We were once sinners, but now we are forgiven. And also, we receive a new purpose. So Jesus said that repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed to all people, and you are witnesses of this. So we come to faith in Jesus. God begins to do a work in our hearts, and that transformation that God does in us, that is a witness to the reality of what Jesus has accomplished. As God changes our lives, that is a witness to the power and the reality of the work of Jesus for other people so that they come to faith in Jesus too. A new identity as forgiven, a new purpose as witnesses of Jesus. And then he said, I'm going to give you what I promised. And that promise is the promise of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who begins to do a work in us. And so the reason that we can be the people that God wants us to be is because of the Spirit. The reason that we can do what God has called us to do is because of the power of the Spirit living inside of us. You know, So often I think people think about Christianity in this way, that it is kind of a list of rules to follow. Here are things that you don't do and then maybe some practices that you are supposed to do. Like when you show up in church, like somebody just hands you a list. Like here's the stuff that you can't do on the back of that card. Here's all the stuff that you have to do. But that's not real. In reality, that's not what the Christian faith is about. 
Because the Holy Spirit begins to transform us from the inside out. He makes us different so that we begin to think, well, I would never want to do the things that I did before because that's not who I am. I'm different now. So we don't necessarily need a list of rules to follow. We just need to listen to the leading of the Spirit in our lives. And that's our security. It's the power of the Spirit at work in us, changing us so that we can be who Jesus has called us to be. But I do think, while Jesus came to turn the world upside down, we are so desperate to keep it right side up. And maybe part of the reason is because we don't really embrace the reality of the resurrection, that yes, Jesus was once dead, but he was made alive, and not just kind of alive or sort of alive, but truly alive. And because Jesus is alive, our faith should be alive too. If you've been with us uh, at all throughout the year, I've kind of mentioned this almost every Sunday, that what we want to do as a church is see people's faith come alive. And what I mean by that is that we want to see your faith become that determining factor in everything that you do. Because I think that that's what God desires in us. That's the transformation that Jesus promised to bring in our lives, that it does change everything about us. It changes the way that we think, changes how we view the world, it changes how we treat people, it impacts our marriages, it impacts our families, it impacts everything. And to have that living faith, all you have to do is believe. It is belief in the death and resurrection of Jesus that begins that transforming process. So that we are not who we once were, but we too are made alive. And then from there, I would really encourage you to lean in. Lean in and get involved, begin to learn more, to begin to grow more in a community with other people who can help you with that process. And that's why we exist as a church. Because we want to see your faith come alive. We who were once dead, but we can be made alive because of the power of Jesus. Jesus, yes, was once dead, but he is alive. Heavenly Father, I pray that all of us in the room would embrace that truth, that Jesus, though he was once dead, is alive. And because he's alive, our faith can be alive too, so that it transforms everything about us. Father, help us to embrace the reality that we were, yes, once sinners, but now we are forgiven. That's our new identity, and you've given us a new purpose as your witnesses, but then promised us the gift of the Holy Spirit, who is our security. And so we can be the people that you desire us to be because of the Spirit's work in our hearts. So transform us. We who were once dead, but are made alive because of Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.